Hello and welcome to another episode of Dead Curious. My name is Roxanne. And I'm Jessica. I can't say my name normally. Roxanne. Roxanne. I am Roxanne. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> the neighbor just started sawing something. <laughs> Are you for real? Who yeah. saw stuff at half past six <laughs> on a Saturday? Dad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we can say that because Dad doesn't listen to our podcast still. It's literally that same type of saw that he has oh, in ring. his workshop. <laughs> literally, as we pressed record, he started <laughs> sawing. Well, it's fine. I can't hear it. Okay, good. But when you get your new mic, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, when I get that, I'm going to move it back into my cupboard. Yeah. Speaking of cupboard, guys, I've got some exciting news. Um, In our house in Jack's and my house. We have like this little storage like compartment thingy under our staircase. And you know, it's just kind of collected garbage over the years. Um everything that goes in there kind of just goes there to die. We never use it again. So I discussed it with him and uh, we've decided we're going to chuck everything out that's in there and turn it into a dead curious den forward slash forward slash <laughs> forward slash a recording little studio thing. So I'm actually going to like like do proper soundproofing and stuff in there. I'm going to paint the walls black. I want to put in some like Lumo paint of the dead curious logo. Like it's going to be really snazzy. So um, but that's like in the pipeline. This is not going to be a new thing. That's just what I'm going to be working on in my spare time because I'm one of those people that need d- DIY projects to live. Yeah, I'm the opposite. Yeah, you and Jack's <laughs> are both the opposite. <laughs> I want something already made so that I don't have to like waste time right? doing something that someone else can just do for me professionally <laughs> and then it won't like break. Yeah. Yeah, well, I like to keep busy. So I had something sort of weird happen. Um, okay, so I woke up, I think it was on like Tuesday morning, one o'clock in the morning. I couldn't swallow. My throat was so sore. And uh, I immediately thought, OMG, I got the corona. So I'm like, no, I got the rona. So I quickly grabbed my stuff and hightailed it into the spare bedroom and uh, just to like you know quarantine myself from Jack so I'm like okay I'm not feeling well like I did I did feel quite sick though so I was like okay flip like I know this time of year because the air is dry and because I have like sinuses from like pollen and stuff I usually get like a post nasal type thing so I'm like okay it could be that but I also don't know what if it is Rona anyway so I decided I'm going to quarantine myself for 24 hours. But now, so I, I come into my room. This is around about, I make the move at like one in the morning. About two, I start to doze off. And then I hear, as I'm like falling asleep, I'm not quite asleep yet, but I'm like, as I'm as I'm drifting off, I hear like, I hear, um, I thought it was like Jack saying, hey, in my ear, like, you know, I'm going to fall asleep. So, like, I I turned around and looked, and uh, no one was there. Oh, this is disgusting. Yeah, so I, I, I don't think our place is haunted. The only death I know of that's happened in this house and that I think ever happened, and I'm not even confirmed that it was in this house, but 
I know that there were people, the previous, not the, the guy we bought from, but the people who owned the place or at least rented the place before the last people had a baby that like died at a few weeks old. But I don't know if that was in the hospital or here. But other than that, like there's there's nothing tragic or weird that's ever happened here. So I don't think so. But um, yeah, and then it happened a second time, like when I moved back um, into my other bedroom, like again, I'm falling asleep. And then it sounded like somebody was, was said something. And I was like, Jax, do you hear that? And he's like, no, he doesn't hear anything. So I don't know. I've been having very weird dreams lately. So I don't think it's something supernatural, but it's still crazy creepy. Really weird. I don't like that. No. Ew. Oh no, I don't like that though. <laughs> anyway, so do is there any news before we get started? I don't know. Is there any news? Oh, we do. We do. Listeners, we've got new listeners from Saudi Arabia. <gasps> Saudi Arabia. Hi guys. What's up? What's up, Saudi <laughs> Arabia? How you doing? I am busy collecting first-hand account stories again i do have a few so if you would like your story featured head on over to our website the link is in the show notes forward slash description or just email it through to deadcuriouspod at gmail.com that's deadcuriouspod at gmail.com so jessica you pushed for this week's theme would you like to introduce it? We are going to talk about aliens, aliens again. And I'm actually like super, super, super excited for my story because it's like so different. Like it's, it's so, you'll just, you'll see when I get there. It's just, it's crazy. So much stuff happened. Your story last week was so intense. I know. I still am thinking this about one, it. I know. Mom listened to that episode today. <gasps> what did she you say? Is it? I almost cried. Mm-hmm. She said she wants to visit him in prison. I kind of <laughs> also do, but then I also kind of don't. I mean, he did kill 10 people, sodomized seven. He was a necrophiliac and eight nipples. So I, I don't, but I, I am empathetic towards him. I mean, like I, I said to her, like, I, I felt the same way, like, after doing all of my research and stuff. I mean, obviously, you know, if you go and visit him, he's like, he can't do anything to you there. Imagine if we interviewed him for the podcast. Hmm. I wonder what he would say. I don't even know what I'd ask. Same. But that's an interesting thought. Anyways. But yeah, it, it was quite intense, eh? But this one, this next one, it's, it's so bizarre. But it's like... It, it gives me happy feelings, but it's strange. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, we're talking about aliens again today because people love aliens. They, I yeah. still, I don't know how I feel about them, you know? I feel like they're scarier than ghosts, but that's also because we don't know that much about them. And also movies make them out to be like evil. Yeah, I'm pretty, sh- I'm pretty sure that they exist. I don't know if they like how people say they are in the movies, but like, Let's put it this way. Life outside of our planet 100% exists. I mean, I think it's a bit naive to assume that the galaxy, which is bigger than our minds can actually even conceive and is older than what our minds can conceive, doesn't have another planet that can house life. So 
definitely life outside of Earth exists. Whether it's little green men on spacecrafts, I don't know. But like these stories that we tell today, there's enough in there's enough evidence to make you wonder. And with that, let's get let's into get our story. Started. Yes. So <laughs> okay, so you're going first again. I'm gonna go first again, but only because um, it sounds like your story is another complex one, and and mine's just kind of short and sweet. The story I chose to do today, I chose because the event has been recorded and referenced by quite a few credible sources, spanning from eyewitness reports, police reports, press reports, army statements, and was featured in Nongai. I'm probably saying that wrong, but Nongai, meaning Armed Watchmen, was the official South African force magazine in the early 20th century. So I was like, okay, if it's in there. If military or army or soldiers or anything like that confirms something or gets involved, then you know it's like, they're usually discouraged from talking about that stuff. Yeah, so I chose the story because I'm like, okay, there's a lot of like official military and police presence in the story. So I have to tell it. Anyway, so let me get into the actual story itself. Today I'll be telling you about the Brayside UFO account. Now, Brayside is a farm just out of Fort Beaufort, near Alice in the Eastern Cape of South Africa. And it's an area that is surrounded by game parks and nature reserves. And it's only two and a half hour drive away from us, I checked. Wow. So y'all, like Jess, you and I can actually go and check this out. Amazing. Let's do it. I actually was I was pretty tempted to go today, but then I was like, oh, if I go, then I'm gonna have to rush back, and then what if like like something happens, and then I'm late for the recording, so I didn't go. But we can go. And also, you would be going without me, and that's just rude. Yeah. Imagine in this episode, we do a car recording. <laughs> <laughs> yes. On the morning of June 26, 1972, at 9 a.m., a farmhand by the name of Boer de Klerk observed a strange fireball about the size of a beanbag, by beanbag I mean the one that you sit on, hovering <laughs> over the farm. <laughs> this little beanie bag, things that you throw at each other and phys ed day. Anyway, no. Um, a fireball, and it was hovering over the farm moving about moving above the ground at about treetop height now de Clerc, who we can only assume was quite freaked out at this point alerted the farm owner benny smith of the situation benny smith in true south african boer fashion promptly went to investigate the flying object gun in hand and upon seeing it fired several shots hitting it However, the bullets had no effect. The object only reacted to the sound of the men's voice by shying away and attempting to hide behind some trees. Oh, it's a shy spaceship. I know! Well, fireball thing. Anyway, oh, yeah. okay. Smith called the local authorities and by 10am, police sergeant Pete Kitching and the police station commander P.R. van Rensburg were at the scene and they also shot at it. Why? <laughs> What's like... that thing? Pew, pew! 
Logic. This <laughs> makes no sense. Uh, so they shot at it. Um, at this point, they were only about 15 meters away from it, so they could get a good view. And the ball was changing color. Instead of a fireball, it was now more solid and had a gun metal gray ovalish appearance, resembling the size and shape of a 44-gallon drum. Smith, the farmer, now fired two more shots at it. At this, the object... Yeah, right? <laughs> they haven't shot at it enough. It didn't help before, so let's try again. <laughs> Maybe it'll do something different. If at first you don't succeed, shoot at it again. <laughs> at this point, um, the object flew off into the dense woods where it could be heard crashing through the undergrowth. Yuck. Aww. The object remained in the area for some time and was witnessed by six council members who watched the object through binoculars before the final sighting, which was around 12 noon, by Farmer Smith again. Although no one saw the object again, apparently you could still hear it throughout the night, like hovering around and like going into the bush and stuff, which I actually honestly think is much creepier. I'd much rather see something and oh then hear it anyway the only physical evidence that was left behind were imprints in hard clay from where it is assumed that the ufo had landed and they found three different sets of these and that was three marks each so it's assumed that this thing had some sort of like three-footed landing gear sort of like a tripod thing. Type yeah of thing so then okay. the Grahamstown Army was called in to investigate the site, but they didn't end up producing any records of the event. Or at least that's what I think they want us to think, as the incident mm-hmm. itself actually received international press coverage. The Savoy Hotel apparently actually has a collection of these, newsca- these newspaper clippings and art- articles posted on their walls. So when we go on that trip, we're going to pop by the Savoy hotel this event caused quite a bit of a hype in the community so much so that local businesses were able to capitalize from paranormal tourism that was created from this event and one of the taverns even went as far as cause as calling itself the ufo bar and it played into the theme by painting flying saucers on the walls so Undisputable truth or a tall tale, either way, the Brayside UFO account is definitely one for the books for South African UFO encounter stories. Flate, flate, may story is eight. That was, that's strange. It is. But I did like, I feel like, I don't know, like it, it had a farmer, a farmhand, it had, um, who was, it was a sergeant, it was a, a, who was the policeman again? Six councilmen. Um, a lot of prominent. Yeah, a police police station commander. It was reported in the news, although the army didn't um, didn't give a report on it. They did give a statement saying that that they they didn't have anything to find. So. I don't know. As far as UFOs go, this is pretty credible. I don't know if it's alien, but it's definitely a UFO. What makes me think of aliens in this situation is that the way that the craft is described is very similar to the other stories we read about. Yeah, especially like the ones you the, said, yeah. Like that 
that strange gray metal, gray yeah. color, and the three legs and it being like an oval-shaped thing. I remember the woman said it was a gray that she had never seen before, like a, a gray you couldn't describe. That hovering, that like consistent humming or whatever they could hear at night, mm. even though they couldn't see it, that freaks me out. Yes, I know. It's like really gross. It's like in stealth mode. Like first I thought, <laughs> oh my gosh, how cute that this thing is shying away and like hiding. And it didn't hide at the gunshots, it hid at the the guys talking like i'm assuming they would have like called out to it or shouted for assistance so only then did it actually respond to them and then later when they shot at it for a second time or was it a third time then it then it actually took off into the woods um but yeah i don't know like imagine being someone on that farm like imagine being like mrs smith and then your husband tells you about this and then <laughs> That night you, you lie in bed and you just hear <laughs> you this. this. Oh, I like yours. Yours is better. <laughs> You're difficult to yeah, do no, that for you. such a long time. But yeah, wow. That's strange. I don't know. How, you see, I don't know how to feel about aliens. Because sometimes, like, in this situation, it sounds like I feel bad for them because, like, they tried to get away after, you know, backup was called and then they crashed. It was clearly into, just like, checking things area. out. Yeah, it wasn't doing anything. You know? So, like, sometimes I feel bad. But then, like, in the other stories we told with, like, the three that kind of, like, snuck up on the people and the kid was like... Oh, I hated that. Oh, I hated that. That, that was so gross. That, like, I've got goosebumps again. That was just yeah. awful. I have such mixed feelings. Overall, anyway, what, I liked your story. What scares me... Um, now, remember, this was in, when did I say it was? It was like uh, 1972. Yeah, 1972. So, I mean, I just don't like the idea that aliens might have technology that's superior to ours. I mean, clearly, if they have those spacecrafts, we can only assume that their weapons and stuff would be more advanced than ours. And I don't like the idea that we can not we, that we can't defend ourselves. But at the same time... Um, human nature is awful. We can't assume that all other living beings has got a nature as terrible as ours. So, right? There, there's that to hold on to. I mean, going just going out and immediately shooting at something is quite unnecessary. I mean, as bizarre as it is, it did absolutely nothing to provoke that. What if they shot at it and it blew up? And it just destroyed their entire home, and that could have been avoided. You know exactly. People are dumb. Okay, so I'm going to tell you about a story that is apparently very, very popular and very well known, even though I'd never heard of it before. Um, when I told mom that we were doing alien story, she was like, "Oh, was it, was it this one about you know certain things that happened that I'm not going to mention yet?" So I was like, "Oh my word, how did you know about that?" And she told me it was like quite a, quite a popular and you know well talked about story so yeah and yeah. I did ask you to tell me what it was so we didn't do the same thing and I'm glad that you did because it's the first thing that popped up in any of my UFO like South African story searches online 
And but what's so weird is that the first time we did these, because it didn't pop like, up. I looked online for extra info, and it did not come up anywhere. Exactly. No, the first time when we lost an alien episode, I can promise you, I did not see that story anywhere, and I did very similar, if not the same, searches this time around. Like right. I, I don't know. Like I feel like it's some like some real life MIB shit happening there. Because like, have Literally. you heard about the Mandela effect? Yes. I feel like, okay, for but those explain of you, it for people who yes. haven't. <laughs> for those of you that don't know what the Mandela effect is, um, Mandela, you know, being the South African president and like symbol of the end of apartheid and um, the struggle and everything. Everyone knows, you know, Mandela, right? He's like the freaking coolest guy. Anyway, so Mandela, right, um, only died a couple of years ago, but there's at, at the at people hearing the news of his death. There's a huge amount of people across the world that recall and swear that they that Mandela actually died years ago, like in the 1990s or something. So there is this, th and there's a lot of cases like this, not just when, with Mandela, but if you Google the Mandela effect, there are so many instances where there's like a split collective memory and there's half of the of society remembers an event one way and the other half of the of society remembers things a different way it's crazy it's it's actually super super interesting it's like glitch in the matrix sort of stuff maybe so this should be our next topic maybe maybe but yeah actually yeah maybe or at least should. upcoming maybe not the next one but like soon but it's actually kind of cool that the Mandela effect is is based on a South Af a famous South African president, so right. it's kind of cool that we get to talk about it actually. But anyway, so that's the Mandela effect. So that's what I feel like's happening here because now we told Mom long ago, and I told Dad. Like we spoke to people about we were asking for stories and, and recommendations about what alien story to do last time, and nobody mentioned this. But now that we do it a second time, everyone's like, "Oh, have you heard about this person?" It's like, right. right? Did something happen? But let's get started. Yes, let's get into it. Okay, so I'm going to tell you about a woman who had these encounters, and her name is Elizabeth Clara. Clara. Elizabeth Clara. So Elizabeth Clara was born in July 1910. And she unfortunately passed away in 1994. She was a South African woman who had apparently been in contact with aliens multiple times between the years of 1954 and 1963. Making her, what, 50, 60, uh, 40, 50 years old? Uh, it, was, it was between her 40, 40s and 50s. But her first encounter was at the age of seven, during the summertime. Elizabeth and her older sister Barbara lived in Natal. They had a farmhouse in Natal. And they apparently had their first UFO count encounter while they were feeding their puppies outside by the stables of their farmhouse. And... Uh, they looked up in the sky and they saw a silver disc-shaped craft that was sort of a similar shape to a football. And it was accompanied with a bluish-white light. Very similar to our previous stories. Yeah, I was about to say, 
<laughs> uh, Elizabeth was quite excited at the sight while her sisters and the puppies got a fright from what they saw. Barbara had a very shocked expression on her face and the puppies uh, ran back into their little pen or their, their den, whatever you call a doghouse. And the two girls quickly ran back to their house where their parents were sitting on the veranda. Apparently, she would ride her pony up to the hilltop uh, almost daily, where she would watch the skies in hopes of seeing the ship again. Only a few months after her first sighting, there was another one, but this time she was with a different person. It was the um, their Zulu farm manager, and apparently he explained the sightings to her like in terms of Zulu culture and mythology. Oh, yeah. And apparently he interpreted the light that comes along with the craft as being associated with the lightning bird. Oh, what? From like right. our, from what, our second episode? No, second episode was Richley House. Oh, But like yes. the third but or yes. fourth or something. What? I know when I heard that, I was like, wow. Oh, I love it. Okay, cool. So guys, if you don't know... If you don't know what the lightning bird is, it's in one of our earlier episodes. Like, you've got to listen yeah. to it. It was one of my favorites. <laughs> it was. It was. Okay, cool. So so he told her that it. he told her about the um, Zulu law and that it's associated with the lightning bird. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, he he spoke about the, the, like the flash of light that you see, like that bluish white light. Yes. Um, they interpret that as the presence of a lightning bird so so far we've got three people that have seen this it's elizabeth her sister and the zulu farm manager now when she was a little bit older she studied meteorology at cambridge oh, wow. and after that she married her first husband who taught her how to fly uh, small airplanes like um i think they mentioned one was a tiger moth plane which is a very light aircraft i think it can carry about two people it's one of those really really small ones so it wasn't like a career type of thing for her but yeah you know um i believe he was a pilot so you know naturally she flew with him and in 1937 they were on a flight from durban to baragwanath in a leopard moth aircraft which is very similar and she was the navigator during the trip and her husband uh, her husband was the pilot so she was sitting in the seat behind him and during this flight she spotted a strange craft flying behind theirs oh no and she tapped her husband on the back he and he turned around and he saw the craft too and of course they lost altitude because he was very distracted <laughs> oh my gosh nightmare he brought his attention back to flying, obviously, uh, but she kept her focus on the UFO outside the window. And she described it in the very typical flying saucer type of description, like a flat disc with a slight dome in the middle. And not too long after that, the craft very quickly and suddenly disappeared without making any sound. Gross. Which is also something that is very familiar. Yes, you're... <laughs> I wonder if it's just one UFO or one type of UFO that has been um, 
you know, in South Africa. Because all of these happened, like, but from, like, 1910 onwards. You'll, you'll, okay, so there's still, <laughs> there's still so much to go through. Um, but I think there's just, in general, there's different models, kind of like how we have different cars, different types of cars. Mm-hmm. I'm, I think they just have different crafts for different purposes. So anyway. Uh, Many, many years later, in 1954, her other sister, May, who was living uh, on the farm in the Natal Natal Midlands, uh, called her and told her that the native Zulu people were reporting um, the appearance of lightning birds again. And Elizabeth, who is, of course, very excited by this kind of thing, took her children and her dog and traveled from Johannesburg to the farm. And she walked back up that hill that she used to travel to with her pony as a child. And it was there where she saw the flash of light in the sky, just before an enormous spaceship came up from behind the clouds and hovered about three meters above the ground. But uh, she wasn't able to get closer to the ship because of what she described as an an invisible wall of heat. That sort of acted Ooh. as a barrier. Radiation. So even yeah. <laughs> even if she wanted to get closer, there was just this wind of heat that was blowing on her face and she just stood there and looked at it. So she looked up to the ship and she saw that there were three portals in the center. And she saw a man standing there looking back at her, whose name we do have a name for this <gasps> person. His name is Arkin. Arkin, very nice name. If I do, okay. You know, I have to. I have to admit, it's okay. So she saw Arkin standing in the middle portal, and they both sort of just like stood there and looked at each other for a few moments. And she said she felt compelled to be with him, but she couldn't move because of that wall of heat. So after a few moments, the craft, which she refers to as the starship, then rose up and disappeared in that flash of whitish-blue light again. So about a year and a half later, she went back to the hill after further reports of the lightning bird being present again. And it was on the 7th of April, 1956, when Arkin landed his scout ship on the hill the second time. When she saw him again, she ran straight to him and she took his hands in hers and he held her hands and he said to her, you're not afraid this time. And he then swiftly picked her up and took her into his scout ship. Once they were inside, she met a second person, or the pilot, and she described him as having darker skin than Arkin but he had such brilliant white teeth when he smiled at her and she said she felt so warm and comfortable in the space. And he explained to her that there were no language barriers because they learn all languages, (laughs) this part freaks me out, by monitoring us and observing our radios and televisions through a lens which you can see at the base of the craft. And this is what he called a viewing lens that apparently allows them to see anything they want to. And it allows them to hear and see so clearly that it's as if they are in the room with us. And apparently they can see things like 
they can see into rooms, like even into basements. <gasps> no. And, like, okay. No. No, yeah. no. 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 That grosses me okay. out. Okay. This is sounding pervy to me. It does sound a little bit weird, but it's like. It's like they, they, they brainwashed her into like falling in love with this guy and they just carried her onto the ship and she feels calm. Like, like. She sounds like she was drugged. I don't know. Let me let me just finish. Let me just okay. get through uh, let me the not whole story e- Let me not we... interrupt you. I won't yeah. interrupt you. Okay, so he then um, took her... He explained that he was going to take her to the mothership. So they went They no. went off. Um, I can't remember how, how far she said it was. Like, I don't know space terminology. But they arrived at the mothership, which she explained was like a cigar shaped craft and she described it as being similar to a small planet Uh, she described the inside of the ship as something that sounded very much like a a beautiful garden with plants and trees that are growing inside and she said that on the floor instead of carpets or wood the ground was covered with blue grass and streams and there was like a waterfall and you know, like any anything you would literally find outside in nature was inside that spaceship. And there she met other people that were dressed very simply, uh, in very simply styled clothing, but all their clothes were made of silk. And she said, when I say when I say people, I'm talking about aliens, but she, um, in interviews and stuff, she refers to them as people. So they obviously looked like us, I'm assuming. She says that they have very similar biochemistry and like physically they all look the same um, and that they're very like they're quite tall and very beautiful and attractive people. And the weird thing that she mentioned is that they like they don't age. They've like found a way of living in harmony with their bodies and their minds and the environment to the point where they're not affected by age. And they also don't really experience any diseases or illnesses due to the clean and healthy environment that they live in, the food that they eat, and like the advanced medical technology. Anyway, so after meeting these people and eating with them and learning about their culture and way of life, she was returned back to the hilltop on Earth. And... Arkin told Elizabeth that she was a reincarnation of a long-lost soulmate. And he explained that apparently people from their planet would sometimes, but not not frequently, it's not something that they do often, sometimes they would um, go to Earth and find women on Earth as their partners so that the offspring would strengthen their race. And he also claimed that there are a number of these people um, that are secretly living amongst us on Earth. And according to Arkin, Venus was their original home planet, but Venus died due to due to solar expansion. So they left to a different star system. I think it's called Alpha Centauri or something. And they inhabited the surrounding planets in that star system millions of years ago. Uh, but again, I don't really know space stuff so i don't know what what solar expansion or star systems are so i can't explain that to you (laughs) (laughs) but apparently venus was their home but um they had to they had to leave to a different area so 
Arkin would apparently visit her quite regularly, and other people in the surrounding farmlands would also see the craft land, or they would see a, a bright light on the top of the hill or behind their homes. And, you know, they would call their family and friends and the neighbors in the area, and they would be like, hey, listen, are you are you seeing this? I'm not, like, crazy, right? Yeah. So, like, everyone in that area, and you'll see some of, if you see the interviews and documentaries of her online, you'll see that they interviewed some of the neighbors as well. And they confirmed, like, you know, I, I called my family, I called the neighbors when I saw this, and, and everyone saw the same thing. You have to send me these links. I have to see this, these documentaries. <laughs> okay, I will. It's fascinating. So, there were a lot of people in that area who had all confirmed that they had seen this as well. And this is this uh, this is gonna weird you out. On a clear night in 1957, she walked up to the mountain to meet Arkin, and he took her to the high plateau of Catkin Peak to avoid an Air Force plane that regularly flew over the area. They wanted to meet secretly and you know not be disturbed by someone who would like potentially want to kill him, so that they could kerfuffle. And it was on this plateau that they spent an entire day together, if you know what I mean. And she conceived a child with Arkin. <gasps> During her pregnancy, she remained on Earth. But once she was ready to give birth, Arkin came for her and took her back to his home planet, where she had a natural birth. Uh, Arkin and his older brother... And the brother's mate all attended to the birth, so they delivered the baby. And she said that it was a much more peaceful and natural experience compared to giving birth here on Earth. And she gave birth to a boy, a little baby boy, which they named Ailing. And he lives with his father on his home planet. And he has only visited Earth once. Oh. And apparently... Mom told me that once people found out about this, they wanted to like examine the child, obviously. Um, and she said no, rightfully so. Yeah. Um, but of course, because she said no, people were like, oh, okay, well, you're faking it. It's obviously not real then, you know? Yeah, but it's like, this is my child. I don't give a damn what y'all think. Right? I'm not going to let you freaking. <laughs> yeah, I no, I don't care. With her that was the right choice. Yeah, that was the right, right. choice. And she said, she said she doesn't, um, she doesn't care what, what people think, you know, she knows, she knows what happened, which, you know, good for her. Mm. But yeah, he, uh, they decided that, um, Ailing should live with his father on his planet and be educated there and there, um, in their way of life. Because it's, it's a much more peaceful environment and a much more healthier environment to live in. And when she was on that planet, she sort of described the scenery and what it looks like. Um, she said that the vegetation and the life on that planet is very beautiful and clean. She said there are no roads or, wet or railways that could destroy the environment or the atmosphere. Uh, because there's no need for like cars and trains and, and anything like that. Because they use, she says they use electricity and gravity that is pulled from the atmosphere and that is used to travel. So she explained that the ships that they used are powered by light that is at different frequencies and it's 
they use uh, electrogravity power systems, which explains why there's a bright flash of light and why the crafts are able to move so quickly and so silently. If you say so. <laughs> it sounds like it could be, right? That's how she explains it. Look, she, like, she was a pilot in the army and she did meteorology and she's like studied this stuff so if she says so i'm kind of gonna believe her but anyway um yeah and there's like there are no no cities like with skyscrapers and tall buildings and the pollution and stuff like that and she says that there's there just seems to always be an abundance of everything that you need. There's like no shortage of anything, no shortage of food or water or supplies or anything like that. In a vast contrast to South Africa, where we have now got water warnings and we were without water for a week. <laughs> we have water and electricity restrictions at the <laughs> oh, same yes, time. Oh yes, we have load shedding, <laughs> the power gets cut every single day, sometimes two times a day for two and a half hours at a time if you're lucky. Right. <laughs> so yeah, she she would visit them, but she she couldn't go to the planet again um, after a while because apparently she she mentioned something about the the sun having effect on people's heart rhythms or something. So apparently, traveling to the different star system affected the rhythms of her heart. So it would be it pro probably would have been dangerous for her to keep traveling uh, mm -hmm. so Arkin would visit her instead he would visit her frequently but their child didn't come with them after a while so <gasps> that is awful I know but again you don't really want him to be studied by random people so like I get it but she said she said it sh although she knows it should be a sad feeling she she knows it's like it's, it was the right thing to do so she's at peace with it you know she doesn't it doesn't bother her. She knows that he's like, he's okay. And apparently the son is like his father. He's an, an astrophysicist and he crosses the universe with his father and his space mate, whose name is Clea, and their son. So their son has a son. They've got a grandson. Oh, wow. And that's all, that's all that we know about her son ailing. Uh, but... Before she died, I think she wrote two books. She wrote one book called Beyond the Light Barrier. And I think the second one she never completed before she died. So I don't think oh. they've published any information on that. But, you know, if you want to find out more detailed accounts by her, then like go and look for her book. I think it is. I did see it on Amazon while I was doing my research. So... I think it would be quite an interesting book to read. But wow. Yeah, that is that is my story. It was there's a lot. So much happened. Yeah, that that's a lot to digest. Um why didn't she just live with them on their planet? She mentioned something about um something about like spreading news or the story about life on this planet or something. Um but she didn't. She didn't really explain that in a lot of detail. I think the whole purpose of her staying behind was to, like, um, bring awareness to this other life on another planet or, or something like that. She she did have other children on Earth though, because she I think she was married 
she, I think she got married twice. Yeah, was was she married when she was rendezvousing with Arkin? Like, was she having like an extraterrestrial, extramarital affair? That I have no idea. I don't know how the first husband and her split. I don't know if he died. I don't know if they just split up. I don't know any of those details that I couldn't find. But I, I doubt it. I don't think she would. Well, you never know. But she had her her children on Earth were born before, um, before Ailing was born, and I think she had one more after that. But that was with the, I, I don't know. I might with be her wrong. husband. Actually, I think Ailing was the last one because she would have been in her. I think she would have been forty eight when she had him, or forty nine. He was sure. probably her last. Yeah. But like the thing with this, with a story like this, is like it. If it's going to be fake, it's like such a long time to drag out a fake story. Like, why would you do that, you know? I have a theory. Did mm-hmm. she make money in her lifetime off this book? Because then that's a very good reason to fake it for so long. I doubt it. She only wrote one thing, you know? And hmm. wait, when it was, it was published in 1980. So she was like in her 70s when she wrote it or when it was published. Like, that's a bit old to start a money-making scheme, you know? I don't know if I entirely believe this, because if people were as... I don't know. I've got a couple of reservations. I feel that perhaps maybe she was a science fiction writer just trying to sell a book, and it's fiction... It's non-fiction fiction? I don't know. But if it is real... I have a theory on that as well. I don't know if they're aliens. Maybe they're Nephilim. At least I think it's called Nephilim. You know, basically when angels came down to earth and procreated with people, they were very tall and very beautiful. That's what I thought when I read the tall and beautiful part. Yes. And then also the whole fact that you get take like, there's like this spaceship that's sort of like a planet, and but this place is perfect. Kind of sounds like it could be like heaven. I don't know. Just a theory. Just a thought. She did take like quite a bit of time just like talking about how beautiful this man's face was. Like she's like, he. she just kept talking about like. Dude's face was face out of like, this world. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's like she she kept saying things like he he just had the most beautiful face, and she can never forget like what his face looked like, and he had such a like such a calm face, and you know, it was just like this woman is talking a lot about his beautiful face, so he must have had like literally a supernaturally good looking face. I personally believe that she was just a science a sci fi writer who was trying to make a a buck off a true story. The thing is, though, like, the story did get some international recognition as well. And, like, people were trying to discredit what she was saying, of course. Um, So, during their investigations and stuff on her, they probably would have found out if she was a writer. Because, like, I don't think she's written anything except that one book. You know, they probably would have made a very big fuss about, oh, you're a science fiction writer, you know, obviously you can make this stuff up. But, like, Mm. there's nothing like that, you know? She was old, Roxanne. She was old when it came out. But, yeah, there's, like, there's so much 
information. It's like, I don't know, man. This is such. If it's if it's fake, it's such a detailed and lengthy lie. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. So, um, they actually give on on the Wikipedia entry about her. They actually give the um the nautical um the nauti- the directions. Like, what is it called? Where they say. Uh. Oh, nautical is the sea. <laughs> yeah, sorry, the sea. What do you call it? The I geographical. It actually gives the geographical location, like oh, of the right here, the, of um, the pla- of star the system where he lives. No, Kathkin uh, Peak Plateau, where oh. they had the, you know, the, 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 the romantic pink. with the hanky panky, the intergalactic inter. inter, inter what are they saying? Inter- <laughs> Interspecies, international, extraterrestrial, extramarital, hanky panky. And with that, <laughs> guys, thank you for listening. As always, pop us a five star review on the platform you're listening listening to us on. Did that make sense? Yes. Yes. I think so. And um you have a chance to have your review read. Um, on Roxanne's review reads which is at the end of the episode after all of the bloopers and stuff which is coming next in case y'all didn't know we have bloopers almost every episode so stay tuned for that and uh, yeah as always don't have extraterrestrial extramarital hanky pank and we'll see you next time (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, bye! Yeah, yeah. Sorry, my chair is like... Yeah, I was just about to say, what the hell? It's my chair, like... (laughs) I'm very uncomfortable, so I'm trying to get a more comfortable position because, <sighs> but it's like really old and creaky. Okay, so where were we? <laughs> People are dicks. But... Yes, it's not <laughs> just kids. Let's be honest, though. it's not just kids, it's everyone. Where did the kids get it? <laughs> <laughs> From the parents. <laughs> anyway, so. Shall we go on to my story? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, it was nice to have you guys on the podcast yeah. again. Thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs> so All right, so. I'm tired. I'm sorry. Go. Today I'll be telling you about the Brayside UFO account. Now, Brayside is a farm just out of Fort Beaufort. Beaufort. Wait. Beaufort. Beaufort. <laughs> I thought I was saying that wrong. But like, what what is the police sergeant from Fort Beaufort gonna do against a flying oh, flaming what, UFO? What, what is this thing here? Let's shoot at it. Let's skit. Pew pew. Let's let's skit at <laughs> let's it. Let's skit. Um. Okay, now I'm getting distracted. Now, okay. <clears throat> that or it was mind control, and he's really ugly, and they just mind controlled her to make her think that she loves him and he's beautiful, and they just used her as like. Uh, a a people mole. Ew, maybe. Ew. Okay, that's that's my dark theory. <laughs> I personally so believe dark. in the fiction. <laughs> I personally <laughs> believe. <laughs>
Lady had three husbands, y'all, and an alien lover. Chicks got game. Right? Like, like how? I mean, like what? Like, I don't know if I want an alien lover, but like, how do people do this? I'm so single. <laughs> like, how do you meet people and aliens in one <laughs> lifetime? The the horizontal. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say the the horizontal. Um, what's that dance called? What? <laughs> I don't know. The horizontal salsa. No, <laughs> the horizontal dance. The beast with two backs. Hopping on the good foot and doing the bad oh, thing. You're talking about sex. <laughs> I thought you were talking about a real dance. <laughs> I feel so sorry for you. You are so single. And with that, guys, I think it's time for us to take off, not to outer space. Wah, wah, wah. I can't do that. I can't do dad jokes. I just can't. That was so good. Thank you. So I'm guys, bad at relationships, but I'm good at interesting sound effects. You're not bad at relationships. You can't be bad at something you don't have. Wow. I, I was going to feel better, but that just was so it's like me saying... destroying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, Jace, I'm so hot. I gotta put on the fan. I'm dying. Hello, and congratulations on finishing yet another episode of Dead Curious. This is Roxanne's review read, and today Jace is actually joining us. Hi, Jace. Hi, what's up? Hi, what's up? Okay, so what's today. I'm reading a review. Uh, let's see where have I got this one from. It is from, again, from podparadise.com. And it is from um, someone by the name of A underscore Rose 13, who's titled the review, A Creepy Good Time. And this is what she wrote. I love this podcast! Exclamation. It's creepy, conversational, and fun. The hosts are so funny and relatable. I really love that they're sisters. I think that gives the the show something extra. Both hosts are good storytellers. Aww. Thank you. Um, Which can be hard to come by. Check out this show. You won't be disappointed. Thank you, A-Rose13. That is so sweet. Like, so sweet. And we are sisters. We are. We are. I'm so (laughs) glad she thinks we're both good storytellers because sometimes I think I'm so rubbish at it and you're so good. And I'm like, people hate my stories, even though no one said that. I'm so rubbish. (laughs) Like, I'm good at talking. I don't know how I'm good. Oh, you're great. (gasps) But thanks. (laughs) Gosh. So, guys, thanks again for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.